0: Welcome back to another episode of Secrets from the Saddle All Things Cycling Podcast with your host Sylvie Deo. And I'm super excited to welcome back one of our past episode uh, invitees, which was Catherine Bertine. Can you believe it? She was episode 81. Uh, So think like two years ago and we are up to over 330 episodes. So it's been a long time. I'm super excited this time Last time we were talking about her book stand and we're going to touch on it at the end because she's doing some super exciting things about with it, but this time is what we didn't touch on last time is her foundation, uh, which is called home stretch foundation and what it does is it's a place where it's a not for profit organization that provides temporary housing and other resources to professional and elite females who are going through the phases of trying to get to pro status. And if I've never been there, but I've interviewed enough ladies to know that it's not it's not cheap. It's expensive. A lot of like Canadian women that I know that because I'm from Canada have to go into the States to race and get recognized in order to go to Europe. And um, for that, Catherine has um, provided, this is in Tuscany. Tu- no, it's in Tucson. Tucson, Tucson. Arizona. I don't, yep. Tucson, Tuscany. I say, <laughs> Tuscany. <laughs> it would <a different laughs> be part nice to world. be in Tuscany, right? <laughs> but Tucson, Arizona, and I am super excited to have you here to talk all about it. Thank you. It's good to be back, and I love
1: talking about Homestretch, especially now that it's been in existence for seven years.
0: That makes us really happy. Wow, and we were just mentioning that um, because Catherine has been doing a lot of activism towards the tour des found, we saw that happen last year and Barry Roubaix, and so let's go back to how and why you started the foundation and how it's evolving some of these women to be able to race at their levels now.
1: Yeah, um you know the saying necessity is the mother of invention, right? Mm. And um that is exactly what propelled the home stretch into being because when I was racing and to recap, I raced professionally for 5 years at the world tour level. And my last year was 2016, so I retired in 2017. But it was really around like 2015, 2016, also 2014 um, where it dawned on me that the there was no base salary for women and that mm. this level of sport, trying to compete at the world tour, even when you are racing against the best on the top teams in the world, you still didn't have a livable base wage. Yeah. Teams weren't paying their riders appropriately. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, I've arrived, but <laughs> I'm not like, I, I'm going to have to quit. I, yeah, I, can't I can't afford this myself, right? Yeah. So that was such a bummer to have that realization. And I'm all for a struggle along the way up. You know, mm. we all pay our dues, whether it's in sport or any profession. You know, you want to be a doctor, you got to pay your way through med school. You know, yeah. so I'm okay with struggling, knowing that once you get to where you're supposed to be, that's where you're supposed to earn a living. And yeah. the fact that the men had a base salary and the women didn't. And here I was carrying, um, at minimum two part-time jobs. I was working with El Grupo Youth Cycling in Tucson, Arizona, and I was working as a freelancer, you know, pet sitting, any other jobs I could pick up. And I'm thinking, you know, none of the men at the world tour level have to do this. So it started the years turning and I was like, all right, um, what we need to do is fix the broken part of the system. And that's the part that women at the world tour level need to be paid. Equally, mm-hmm. and behind the scenes, we're going to lobby for that change. And until that is fixed, um, wouldn't it be amazing if there were a place where female pro cyclists could go and they could live and train for free? They could live somewhere and yeah. not have to pay rent, utilities, all that stuff that we associate with daily life, right? So,
0: yeah.
1: um, that was what kind of kicked into plan for me. Like I, I, I started a business proposal. And it really came from a place of me needing something like this Mm -hmm. and um, started that proposal in 2015, found an investor in 2016, who was willing to jump in and say, like, I believe in this, let's make this happen. Because, you know, honestly, like the Homestretch Foundation is an extremely large residence. There's one main house and two guest houses that can, you know, house anywhere from six to to up to 12 athletes comfortably um and it's just you know it's amazing but that really needed something to get off the ground
0: right so I remember reading that part in your book yeah so if you ever want to reference some of the stuff Mm. yeah the book's good one so now the first thing it was like finding a location yeah like right like this has got to be a special spot so how did that happen so I, I'm a New York native, but
1: I've been living in Tucson for the past 25 years. Oh, and I stayed here because, um, the cycling, the, the terrain is perfect. Um, and the climate for honestly, for, for 10 months out of the year, we've got the greatest climate for training.
0: Until it gets hot.
1: Yeah. <laughs> until you don't want to be here in like July and August, you know, yeah. June's even a tough one, but um, knowing that the majority of pro cyclists and even pro triathletes, you know, anybody who needs this type of, of environment will come here between, let's say November through May, like that six month stretch of the year is prime training time to be out here. And it's not just because of the lo- lovely temperature that we have, but the topography, we have Mount Lemon, which is a famous route, you know, 26 miles up a paved mountain road, Um, we have tons of mountain bike areas as well, but the road riding here is fantastic. We also have a really sound group infrastructure where you can go on these group rides that really, truly mimic UCI level racing. Oh, yeah. The shootout, the Tuesday ride. I've heard
0: about that. Oh,
1: I credit the shootout with getting me to the ability to turn professional. So you know, it's, it's no joke here. If you can keep up with these, um, these men, you know, primarily men, it's Mm -hmm. it's so awesome now how many more women we have in the sport, but to come here and and hold your own against some of the strongest men, um, that'll raise your level real fast. So That is
0: key. Ride with people way Mm -hmm. beyond your level to... (laughs) Oh yeah, Mm -hmm. so stepping out of that comfort zone at least a couple times a month, right? You basically have to live in the uncomfortable zone. Yeah, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and
1: so it's uh, Tucson was was the right place for this. Also, um, we you know we house a lot of Canadians and a lot of Europeans because. Obviously the winters are not as favorable mm-hmm. and we love that we have this ability because of our location, you know, to make this happen. And that was, uh, so I knew for certain that it, that Homestretch Foundation belonged here. And I love Tucson. We have an incredible community here, not just in cycling, but just any niche that you might find your way into in life. It's pretty amazing. People are just
0: great here. I hear a lot of good things about Tucson. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I I know a handful of girls from my region from Ottawa who have made their way down there and been one of the 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 uh, residents at your uh, at your place. So, but how did you find the ideal place? Yeah, uh, this is
1: this is fun for me. So, um, <laughs> I went through a, a tough stretch in my life coming out of a divorce, where I was living with my dad for a couple years as I got myself back on my feet. Mm. And um, my dad lived in this wonderful condo complex um, on this Northeast side of of Tucson. And so all of my rides started and ended from from there, obviously. And um, every day for, I would say for about a year, I would pass this um, swinging for sale sign that had this (laughs) cab underneath it. You know, and this was honestly, this was just not even a quarter mile away from where my dad lived. And it's you know got this swinging tab that says you know two guest houses, and I was like, wow, there's a house that has two guest houses. It must be like some colossal palace. And I yeah. thought it was interesting too that that sign had been there for close to a year. Mm. You know, so I was like, huh. But when Homestretch during that year finally got up and running and off the ground, and my business partner said, okay, let's start looking at houses. I was like, I got to see this place this would be amazing. Mm. And the, it's, it's funny to hear Tom tell this story and to hear me, me tell it. Um, you know, when I walked in, I saw all the promise and the potential for this place. And I went, Oh, hell yes. You know? And Tom walks in, he was like, Oh, hell no. (laughs) That was because bless her heart. This wonderful woman who was probably in her mid eighties had lived there for like 30 years. (laughs) So the decor You know, Mm -hmm. really hadn't stepped out of the the early 80s. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, once you peel back those layers of of what had been like shag Shag (laughs) carpet, giant chandeliers (laughs) and wallpaper, oh, wallpaper, drapes, you know, all these things that that are not, you know, maybe more modern like we are used to, you know, so I kind of got it. I was like, okay, I can see why maybe your normal buyer would just get turned off by the aesthetic but mm. i could see beneath that and be like no this this residence is incredible and it's amazing and this is the
0: place this is the place and so tom warm to it
1: oh yeah yeah he's like <laughs> i trust you i'm like good you should this is my jam like i i can see the vision
0: so <laughs> does it have a big property catherine
1: yeah um so the main house um we have two rooms upstairs, but I live in the upstairs of the main house, right mm-hmm. So I uh, I have a bedroom not just for myself, but it you know for my own friends and family, et cetera. Mm-hmm. like I, I deserve having my own life too.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah.
1: And then we have a, a second floor downstairs where I put two alumni down there. There are two bedrooms down there. And then in each of the two guest houses, two beds in each of those guest houses. and now each guest house, the main house upstairs, the main house downstairs, all of these have their own kitchen, their own bathroom.
0: Oh, wow. Their
1: own, yeah, kitchens, bathrooms, uh, washer, dryer in all of these units. So for me, what that creates is, um, you know, especially these two independent guest houses, these athletes mm-hmm. are fully functional adults living, yeah. um, you know, on their own, but together. Like they, I'm not a dorm mom, so to speak. It's not like yeah. they, they need to come in and use my kitchen or bathroom, et cetera. Mm-hmm. We can all coexist.
0: You don't have to f- clean up after them? No.
1: Heck, well, you know, honey, <laughs> bring Sorry. that up.
0: <laughs> oh, I don't. Know.
1: <laughs> no, no, it's okay. It's um when it, when it gets to the end of the year, all of these athletes know, we even have it in our kind of our bylaws, you know, you are the guest, but you're also the maid. Like you- right. You know, and and I remind them, I'm like, you get to live here for free. You need to treat this place like, um, you know, not just like- like better
0: than your house.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, and you have to make sure that if you want to come back here, then I need to know that you are a clean human being who will engage in, you know, just um, sanitary uh, measures. We've had a few instances where um, I can say that some residents maybe will not be invited back just because they don't seem to get that memo. uh,
0: I was going to ask if there are any non-returnees or they just.
1: Uh, That's a different, matter. sometimes, you know, if we have a great person, but they're, they're not messy, but dirty, like they leave things dirty and gross. Oh, Mm -hmm. they go to the end of the line for, you know, reapplication admission. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would say uh, we get that question a lot, like have, you know, have you turned people away? So um, we have had we've been around seven years. We've had eighty-eight athletes from eighteen different countries. Yeah. In That's those eighty-eight athletes, we have had um, we have had four. You know, over the course of seven years. So this is basically one person every other mm-hmm.
0: year
1: that um, does not fit in with the the vibe. You know, right? Um, and we have a very very good vibe protocol and, and screening process, but every now and then somebody gets through who, um, I think it really boils down to, they're not the best candidate for a group living situation. Right. And when we're talking about two guest houses and, you know, there's, there's plenty of, of individuality that goes along. Um, so it's not like you're surrounded by six people and you're on each other's backs all the Mm -hmm. time. You know, it's, it's, really nice that you get a lot of your own individual time um, yeah it's
0: like having a roommate it's like having a roommate yeah right?
1: and being a grown-up like our average age at home stretch mm-hmm. is 27 to 28 so oh, that means wow. we get okay. applicants as young as 20 and mm-hmm. as actually i can say you know 19 and as old as um 41 so really yep yep Yep. So, um, it averages out that the, you know, the normal age span is somewhere around 27 28. And, um, yeah, so to have, you know, just four that maybe didn't fit the vibe, but at the same time, we've never actually had to kick anybody out. You know, it's not like somebody did something so bad, like you have to leave. Um, but we also instilled a really interesting principle, which is good to talk about. And that, and it says this on our application site, um, you know, the frequently asked questions, but, um, we, we do not, um, we do not provide residence for athletes who are struggling with an eating disorder. Oh yeah. And Ooh. we know there's lots of disordered eating that happens in sport and we have had, uh, how do
0: you flush that
1: out? Um, it's easier now with zoom interviews, et cetera. Um, you know, to really dive into that topic mm-hmm. and get to know people. And of course, if they were to Um, to hide it from us. But then when they're here, it's an issue, then we would have to ask them to leave. Um, But it's something that we're very upfront with and about, and I do some thorough reference checks. And um, yeah, because it's, it's something that we know that to harbor a really safe, healthy environment, we need athletes who are um, more on board with a healthy lifestyle and, you know, healthy eating and at some ages, um, eating
0: disorders can be very contagious. Oh, yeah. I was wondering where this was going. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, do you are you able to like maybe give? Um, Ask examples? more questions. <laughs> yeah, like because I I would never have thought of that, but I can see when you say contagious, like because. Again, go back to some of my some of the girls that I've interviewed, and they have had like you know have come from early on i might say teenagerhood where they had eating disorders and very toxic coaches, things of that nature yeah. um, but how do you how do you dive into a candidate and then you know maybe not bring them in because you've unearthed like,
1: right. um, well, a
0: potential one of, the,
1: one of the helpful things is that we have it in our frequently asked questions and you have right. to those before you. Yeah. Okay. And then I'm, as you can tell, I'm a very direct person. Yeah. So <laughs> I bring it up, you know, in the interview, mm-hmm. people don't just apply and get to come here. There's a, there's a thorough interview process. I check all the refer- references and then I check references. They might not know that I'm checking. And, um, so I get a pretty good sense of, of somebody's character that way. Um, but when we actually have our in-person interview, I bring it up, you know, um, have you struggled with an eating disorder in the past? Um, are you, you know, are you healed from it? Where are you in the journey? Um, you know, and I asked to, you know, about dietary preferences, et cetera, all of that. Um, so it, it kind of, for me, it's now easy and also- So I'm 48. But when I was in my early twenties, I did suffer from an eating disorder. And um, I saw how, especially endurance sports, you know, it can be Mm. a minefield. If somebody's struggling and they think they're in their own world, it can actually project onto other people, especially if you have a roommate. So um, it came to my attention a few years back when a couple of our homestretch residents, uh, this is a few years back, but they came to me and they said, Hey, we're we're really struggling with one of the athletes who is here right.
0: okay. and,
1: um, you know, she's not eating and, um, she's constantly moving, you know, like burning, burning calories all the mm-hmm. time, all the time. And, um, and it was making them, uh, really uncomfortable. Right. And we have to remember oh. too, that an eating disorder is, it is a form of, of mental illness and mental health, you know, mm-hmm. so. Um, and it's one that people can absolutely heal from, but, um, it's obviously you're not in healing stages if you're going through it. Right. Right. Um, so we made that policy and, um, Mm, and we had to, you know, when these athletes came to me with the, with the information about the athlete who, um, was struggling, who made them uncomfortable, uh, she only had a short window of time left at home stretch
0: mm-hmm. so
1: um we we didn't have to ask her to leave but mm-hmm. it helped us install this policy of like from now now moving forward this is how yeah. it's easy. and so it's been helpful to have that in place
0: were you able to help her at the we time ob- or did we, you-
1: yeah we we were able to say hey um you know, here's we would love like you have an open door policy, and that we'd love to have you back here in the future, but it'll need to be at a time when you are well and healed. Mm-hmm. And um, here are some links that you could mm-hmm. um, explore in terms of where to get help in the area that you live. Um, and yeah, you know, I think that's. Uh, I mean, she she heard us. Whether or mm-hmm. not she followed through is. Um, is, you know,
0: I, I don't know the answer, Yeah, but it all comes out in the end though.
1: It does. Mm -hmm. It does. It's
0: an unfortunate part.
1: It is, it is. But again, you know, 88 athletes through the house and, Mm -hmm. and it's, our numbers have been very good because we have our, you know, our selection process pretty dialed in at this point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So let's talk about, um, Your activism back in the day (laughs) when you were, when you were one of the, one of the many who were, well, one of the main, one of the main ladies, there's have been others, ladies coming through pushing for more, uh, for the tour de Femmes and it it's, and it happened last year. How did you feel about that?
1: Oh, I have, um, two very distinct set of emotions and the first thrilled, so happy for the athletes, so happy for the for the progress itself Mm. absolutely joyous that we had gone from one day to eight days huge so yeah celebratory very much in that realm but because i know aso and i know what they're like behind the scenes because Mm -hmm. of all of our fight for la course by tour de france um i am also very wary that um and my biggest fear and concern, and I, I talk about this openly, I was, I've i been in the media citing this, but my biggest fear is that we stay at eight days for eight more years, oh. right? And there's no more growth, like, like they're going to just be happy with what they have, which is how ASO functions. They just, mm. uh, you know, and what we have to really look at here is the fact that the women's race is eight days is because that's what ASO said, that's all you can do, that's all you can have. So it's shorter distance than the men's, shorter days than the men's, 29% of the prize purse than the men. So there are still Hmm. a lot of flaws and a lot of struggles. And usually the next question that comes from this is like, wait a minute, eight days or shorter racing is usually more exciting. You know, it, it's more fun to watch a three and a half hour race than it is a six hour race. And I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. However,
0: <laughs> yeah. however,
1: they're giving the women three and a half race, three and a half hour races because they do not feel that a woman can physically do a six hour stage. Right. Yeah. So that's one of the things that we really have to look very closely. And I remind people that equality can go both ways. So if you know, if people are like, hey, I'd rather watch an eight-day event of three hours a day, then great, then let's put the men down at that too. You know, and then um, like, wait, but no. Then it's like, exactly, <laughs> wait. The reason we need equity at the Tour de France is because it's the number one bike race that the world knows about, and it is the actual pinnacle of the sport. Mm-hmm. Like, You're going to make more prize money, earn more of a living if you have, um, you know, if you're at the Tour de France, so to speak, than at the Olympics even, right? So it almost supersedes the Olympics. Mm -hmm. So why we need women to have equal days to the men is because at the top, if it's not equal, where is it going to flow to? You know, how, how are all of the other areas of sport going to stack up? You know, saying that mm-hmm. if it's not equal at the top, then it's going to stay that way for, for women. It's not just never going to be equal. So, um,
0: you know, I thought that they, they were going to add. Oh, like they, they started eight. <laughs> oh, maybe this is it, right? Because that's what I heard. I thought I heard that they were going to add days every mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Well, 15. they were supposed
1: to do that since 2014.
0: Oh. So, so. what's it going to be? The, yeah. What's it, this it's year eight days. Eight days. It's still eight days. Again. Again. Mm. Yeah. So you think there'd be like you should just be happy with that?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Instead yeah. of
0: like that's
1: why with La Course being one day, they wanted us to be happy with that for eight years.
0: Yeah. Right?
1: So it's it it's still it's like an advanced tokenism, you know. they they mm. relinquished and given eight days, but this is still. One third of the distance of the men's race, you
0: know. Yeah,
1: so the men still have 21 days. The women have eight.
0: And I think that did they not track viewerism? Oh yeah, like, oh, they know, they know, they know. Well, we I think I think that. a lot of us really did take in the women's. Mm-hmm. I think I took it more in more of the women's than the men's actually, yeah. just oh, because it was new. You know, it was exciting. Twenty-one days. Well, no, it's like 21 days. You're like. Okay. <laughs> I hear you. So you go every second or third race. You're like, okay, I'll jump in and, and watch some of this or I'll get or just catch like the 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 um the clips at the end. Right. You know.
1: I know. I know. You know where else um ASO really messed up is that um for years and years and years uh the Giro d'Italia for women was a 10-day race, right? So if ASO really wanted to make waves, they could have gone um, to two to 12 days or to two weeks. Two weeks would have been ideal to, mm-hmm. to surpass something that we've already had in the past, to surpass the 10-day mark and really be like, yep, here are women for two full weeks with the intent of building it to three weeks. And they just settled on eight days, probably in their mentality being like, oh, well, let's give them more than a week because that's uh, <laughs> showing that we're in progress, but just eight days. I mean, not just one weeks. day extra. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so when you really deconstruct ASO, and I know how they think because we built Lockhorse by Tour de France for them. You know? Yeah. So it's, um, you know, I, I'm discouraged by that, but I do think that Zwift, what they've done to come on board and pro- provide oh the financial. God. Oh, I'm a huge fan it's... of Zwift swift is like yeah i race in the winter
0: for uh a a high level too i did they weren't high well they are high level now and i'm just like wow i'm part of this team but i'm like a sea racer right (laughs) sea racer but but they have like 90 ladies who race they do there's like in each category they have like different categories like of levels it's like I I just bow down to those ladies who organize it. I'm like, I'm just trying to register, or, you know. Like, absolutely. Uh, but the amount of events that they start putting on and the kind of caliber that was coming out is like unbelievable to be able to watch that, like oh, live stream. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. the commentating,
1: mm-hmm. like, I feel really no, cool. Say- It depends too. I know that we have different streaming services depending on where you live in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I do feel that overall the commentary was great. There are a couple commentaries that maybe could do a better job in terms of like, getting a little more, a a little bit more modern, (laughs) you know, Yeah. Um, like that. The one day that there was a a crash in the Peloton and, you know, comments made on like, Oh, are the women ready for this? Or, you know, like, Oh, come on. (laughs) Please. how many times do men crash in the tour de France a gazillion but the women are held under this like scrutinous microscopic view of you know mm-hmm. anytime that, that something like that happens um it's uh it's really easy for certain commentators to I guess yield toward the negative toward the negative rather than taking that moment to be like yep they crash just like the men you know
0: yeah <laughs> Yeah. And see who gets up, who gets going, who missed it, who's now on a breakaway. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, it's always very exciting. So, talk about some of the ladies that went through home stretch that made it into like the yeah. pro cycling uh, circuit that, because that's super exciting, right, Catherine? Well, we but, should. You know, always- like you could be.
1: Oh, it's huge. Last year we had Emily Newsome, who is, you know, we call all of our home stretch athletes. We call them stretchies. That's their (laughs) nickname. So Emily Newsome, who was racing for EF Tibco. She was awesome in the race last in Tour de France Femme last year and um, very active. She was a very active racer. Like she would go on breakaways. You would see her. It was really, really Mm. cool to be able to, you know, yell, go Emily at the screen. It was awesome. We also had three other riders who were on the um, the substitute roster, basically, That you know, so uh, mm-hmm. ready to step in, but yet their teammates were ranked ahead of them. So um, that happens. But Leah Kirchman was there with DSM. Oh. Uh, Gabby Traxler. Who am I missing? We've got one more. But it was really cool to see that four stretches were named to the roster for the Tour de France. And one of them right. was actually in it on when the race started. So it was, it was awesome. Um, and I should note too, what's really cool for us uh, is that we did our, our duty, what we pledged was that we would fight behind the scenes for a women's base salary. The good news is now, as of 2023, the women at the World Tour do receive a base salary yeah so we feel very victorious you know part of me is like we could shut the home stretch down we did our job we made it happen <laughs> but there's still one one big loophole and that is that the pro continental women do not have oh. a, a base salary but the pro so what's the difference do what's okay pro- so explain the difference
0: okay um, continental and then pro- well, you're
1: you're canadian i so know can Like about hockey for a minute
0: yeah. Well, all. Yeah. Okay. So if you're double A, triple A. Yes. Pro. Okay. How many do we have? Oh, in hockey? Okay.
1: How many oh, do we okay. have in hockey? How many leagues?
0: I don't know. There's double A, triple A, then single farm A? team, then NHL.
1: Okay. And that farm team is probably single A, right? Anyway.
0: Double, yeah. So that's like, yeah, so we they, have they, got-
1: they draft from down here.
0: Right, farm team.
1: so you've got yeah. double, triple farm team, and then you have NHL, right? Yeah. Same exact protocol exists in cycling. World tour is the NHL,
0: okay? Okay, okay.
1: And then the level just below, which is still professional because many pro continental and world tour teams will race in, in the same races, not all, but many. Um, and that pro continental level is basically um, the minor league team. So we're gonna call that uh, the farm team level. And, okay. or you could call you know, uh, single a, if you wanted to.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And below that there's a division called Neo pro and that's for, um, you know, I'll get to that in a second. And then there's a fourth level, which is domestic elite teams. Okay. Oh, okay. domestic elite teams are amateur, but high level elite. Mm-hmm. Okay. They don't have a salary down here at Neo pro for the men. That's usually in the, um, the, the, almost kids who are getting their first pro contract. They might be, you know, they're over 18, but they're young. Um, And there's something like the Neo pro contract for men is something like $23,000. Okay. But Hey, that's a big step up from nothing. Right. There is is above
0: poverty level mm, further above
1: time. It just, there is no (laughs) Neo pro designation for the women. And then we go to the next level, which is pro continental, the Pro Continental uh, men get about 35k euro. Pro Continental women, nothing. There is no base salary allocation for them. Oh. At the World Tour, the men get about 50k. The women get the they get the diagonal. They get what the the um, the minor league men get. They get 35k. So there is a base salary, but the structure is way off. And what's happening at the Pro Continental level? which is, I think in my opinion, is probably the most important level because when athletes at the pro Conti level are doing great, they get recruited up to the world tour, mm-hmm. right? So it's like you said, the farm team, um, yeah. you know, how else are you going to know who to bring up to the world tour, unless you see what's happening at the, at the farm. Mm. <laughs> so at the farm, yeah. it's, it's the most important level. And the reason, well, the reason they don't have the base salary allocation is because the Um, the UCI is just a dinosaur and they have not gotten around to mandating it and allocating it. And here's what's happening. And this is what's really detrimental and bad. Um, Some teams, there are a few teams out there are actually stepping up and they're paying their athletes, you know, anywhere from mm, 10, but some are paying them 30 K to be on that Mm -hmm. domestic or that uh, pro continental team. But some teams are not. And what they're doing is, um, signing an athlete and say, well, yeah, you're going to race for us, but you're going to race for free. And if you don't want that, then I'll go get this woman over here and we'll ask her instead. So they're really using the women. And when you really start peeling back the layers, where it gets even more awful is that the majority of these directors and the staff of these teams, they get a salary. Oh yeah. but They're making money, but the riders aren't. And the women. Well, they have,
0: bring in all the glory too. So.
1: Oh yeah, they've been yeah. conditioned. The women have been conditioned to like, well, you're lucky to have a spot on this team, and that's mm-hmm. a, it's good enough that you're on our team. So there's some real psychological BS that goes on.
0: And so is it not the sponsors that need to start forking over more money, or, or yeah? Oh, I think that's the, the, the where right, the money
1: comes from. Well, it's the right sponsors do fork over the the right. Yeah. money but it's these antiquated old directors that don't know or don't know how to ask for it or don't realize that there are companies out there that will invest in women's equity. And Mm. instead they're just going back to the same old, you know, the same old mill, like they're, they're reaching out within the industry like, Oh, well, let's make sure we get bikes and this and that first. And then they stop there and they don't look for the money and they don't look for the right money. So,
0: Mm. Right. Yeah, there certainly are enough companies out there that probably would uh, go in a fund.
1: Well, look course. at Homestretch. I got a donor for Homestretch because they believe that women and men should have an equal base salary. Mm-hmm. That's it. So that's where it all starts. Is you have to reach out, you have to ask, and you have to put yourself out there. And um, unfortunately, cycling is still really behind you know, behind the times and it's mm-hmm. not always just the UCI. I mean, they need to step up and they need to mandate that equal base salary for the women's pro continental. Cause part of the other problem that's happening is if, if a team can register with the UCI to be pro continental and say one team is doing it right. And they're paying their riders. And those riders are really good. They're top notch. They've been around for a while now. They're also racing against this other pro continental team that has new riders that don't know what they're doing. They're unskilled, they're inexperienced, but they just have the title pro continental. They're not being paid. They're all over the place. Uh, they just the put them together, basically they put them together, which mm-hmm. is why that's where we need that, um, that four tier structure, mm-hmm. you know, on the men's side, as well as the women's you need, um, You can have two realms of pro-continental one, pro-continental two, or just call it, you know, you send all of those pro-conti ones that aren't providing an actual salary. You send them down to domestic elite until they're ready to get the sponsorship Mm. and the salary and join at the proper level.
0: So, yeah, it's a, it's a lot to get used to or to know, like to follow, like it's my job. (laughs) I know it's your job, but sometimes it's like, as an athlete who wants to go to the top, it's just, it's like, how do you do it? You know, there's so many Mm -hmm. stops and like, it saddens me that Canada hasn't gotten to a level where they can actually produce and have those like elite teams here because everybody disappears into the States. Right? Because that's where the the money is. Well, and the they clubs. To
1: train into the States. I know that much for sure. But I know that um, all Canadians we've had at Homestretch, they're obviously very, very proud to represent their company,
0: their, company, their country. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so. They, we, we don't have like Canadian teams. You don't. I know. I know. Yeah. I wish. Um, that's what I mean. You know, and because like I know a lot of girls who like there's teams that are developed and then they recruit into the into canada and a lot of the girls go down there and they train down there and they race down there or and they live up here and they race a bit up here um but and also like the caliber of races has started to kind of drop off we've well. seen
1: a drop off too and unfortunately what's nuts is that we saw a huge rise in 2019 of like Colorado classic, um, a UCI race in Maryland, all this stuff was happening and thriving. Mm -hmm. And then of course the pandemic hit Mm -hmm. and what's sad now is here we are in 2023. And I think a lot of us in cycling thought that we would get back to, to where we were in 2019 and really be able to keep stepping forward and it's just so sad that, you know, we don't have Colorado Classic and we don't have Tour of California, even Tour of Utah, you know, these things were um, yeah. and I, part of me, you know, it's so easy to blame that all on the pandemic. Um, but there's something else happening too, because our one exception is Tour de France Femme, which is amazing and fantastic. Mm-hmm. But when you trace that back to why that's happened, it's because of Zwift. Being like, we're bringing the money, we're getting on board, and we're signing our intent for, you know, four or five years. Mm -hmm. And that's one company making this incredible um, move. And why aren't we seeing other companies follow suit?
0: That's right. They They do sponsor it, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's Tour de France Femme avec Zwift. Mm -hmm. And um, I wish there were more companies that were following Zwift's move so we could have, you know, Colorado Classic powered by, yeah, name it, you know, Pitbull. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right?
1: So I think we not- need
0: an AI company to step up and take it. Yeah, another. exactly.
1: If all AI companies could just mm-hmm. get it, you know, and uh, how about crypto?
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> just get that
1: sponsor. Don't worry, I mean, there's lots of those. So
0: great. <laughs> those type of companies that uh, need yeah. to put their money somewhere.
1: Right, exactly. Get
0: a good tax receipt. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Well, it's, you know what? It would move the dial forward for everyone of these companies, um, both old and new and everything really got in and did that. And I think part of the reason that's not happening is also um, it, it, it all stems back to UCI. Like where are the actual jobs that could say, Okay, we're gonna hire somebody to actually go out there and seek sponsorships that can Mm. help that bridge for teams, like a team sponsorship coordinator, and bring more businesses into the fold and provide them the infrastructure of like why they should get into cycling and invest in cycling.
0: And it's it's not happening. That's a good point. How many people are actually from cycling background approaching these companies?
1: Yeah. Well, I can yeah. tell you this with, and this was in stand, but after our uh, go round with um, La Course by Tour de France, I immediately went to ASO after all the numbers and the viewership came in in our favor. And I said, hire me to be that person that goes out and secures the sponsorship for UCI races, especially the Tour de France.
0: Mm-hmm. And their
1: response was, this is verbatim, their response was, Oh, well, we're not hiring for that position.
0: No, I, like, yeah, I, know. I know you don't
1: have that position. <laughs> like, let's make that together. Yeah. And then they followed it up with this. They said, "Well, no, you know, but oh, Catherine, go out and find sponsorships. And when you find them, let us know. Like we would love to know." And I was like, "Like, <laughs> okay, so I'm just gonna go find you multi-million-dollar sponsors. <laughs> I'm gonna find that my own
0: sponsor. Thank you." Yeah
1: exactly <laughs> and um yeah so there's a lot of um there there's you, some people like oh that's just greed i'm like i don't think it's even greed it's just apathy and mm. these companies that you know the older an employee has or the longer an employee has been there doesn't always have to do with age but the longer an employee has been there the more geared into the system that that they know you know rather than being willing to take some chances yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. Here's a question. Mm-hmm. What do you think about gravel? Oh, okay. So I, I'm all over it now. I see that. <laughs> I love
1: it. I'm a huge fan of gravel, but I have to first make the disclaimer that I don't even own a gravel bike. <laughs> That's okay.
0: Right. None of us usually do.
1: Yeah. Together. Okay. I love it. I love it. I have a mountain bike. I don't have a gravel bike.
0: Oh, a mountain bikes. Perfect. Mountain so, But the bike- thing is that a lot of people are going to gravel. I love it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know so much of a purse money, but, um, like with a lifetime Grand Prix, you've seen that mm-hmm. they've got 30 women and 30 men, high level athletes that they, you have to put an application in to be part of their team, um, or part of like an athlete racing for this purse, but they have like seven races. They have to, they have to do five out of seven and it's a cumulative points to the winner.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. I like that system. I think that's a great model. Yeah. I love seeing a lot of roadies that, uh, you know, when they finish their time on the road, they get into gravel. That's awesome to see. I just, anything that's thriving because people want to do it like mm-hmm. gravel, then all power to it, you know, and in cycling we have so many disciplines. So you know bring it and if it can establish um the niche like it has then I'm a huge fan
0: you know it's just getting more people out on but I was wondering because up here I find that gravel is taking over road mm. do you know what I mean like how do you kind feel of, about
1: that like is that okay or is it not okay
0: well I guess I could be to blame for one because I did um for six years five six years our club did a road cycling event, a time trial, and we put it out. Uh, they they were asking for more clubs to um, step up and um, put on events. And I said, OK, well, this is a time because I've always wanted to have our club put on an event. And time trial is the easiest one to put on the cheapest mm-hmm. um, with regards to. You know commissaires and cars and you don't have to close anything and they don't have to go very far they just go out and back um and it's over like in a matter of hours um but the thing is that you know when i put my hand up to our quebec federation they didn't they say you know yeah we're gonna help you but they didn't really help me at all they didn't provide me any documents to use like they didn't provide any financial assistance you know like so I was like, okay, I guess I'm uh, just got to figure it out. Cause I have done time trials before I'm kind of, you know, familiar with the the right. process and, um, and I had a couple of people who had done a time trial events, share their budgets and, and all like their, you know, yeah. their um, race guides with me. So that was good. I didn't have to right. start from scratch. But the thing is that after a while I was like, you know, it comes to a point where you know you're trying to grow it it just hasn't grown and then and then me i go and i i try a gravel event and i'm like um i like that a lot more uh-huh. fair <laughs> enough fair so enough. then i was like um i think i'm gonna go so now i'm uh starting uh organizing a woman's gravel event rent okay yeah well, here my to- hometown my little village that's,
1: I, I I do think it's great. I mean, I wish that both could thrive, but mm-hmm. that, that's a tough thing to put on one person. So yeah. how great that if you're finding that your niche is gravel, you do that. But can we find somebody that can keep the time trial
0: alive? Well, know? I know I had a pro, somebody, uh, a club approached me kind of late in the season this year, and they said that yeah. they were interested. I said I'll totally hand over all my stuff, all my information, nice. all my contacts. I'll help you out, um, but you know, like the thing is that they've they didn't come back and say, okay, we're ready. You know what I mean? And I'm like, are you guys interested? Like, yeah. you just can't like decide to do it tomorrow you know yeah, what I mean it takes like some time some planning it takes a time if you yeah. want to be on the calendar it's got to be in by November approved by February um you know it's so um you know so I'm hoping that maybe this fall they will decide to do it because it was a great route it's hillier than most um challenging uh mm-hmm. easy to put on like you know and um so it would be nice to have the have it back because a lot of people really liked it you know and I um, mean
1: time trial that's that was my thing that was my yeah and I loved it and I always really appreciate it And in Arizona in Tucson we do have a number of time trials during the season and yeah and I'm thankful that those have stayed around and that they've been there I think it sounds to me like what we really need is more of an education of how many people can get involved and can make something happen and that
0: the um well she seemed very interested yeah she had lots of she had a couple clubs behind her i'm like okay because you need lots of volunteers um you know and uh to make it safe and you know because there's you're on a road so you got to be at like certain street signs street corners and things like that um yeah so i'm hoping she will uh you know reach out again see if that's something but definitely need to like you know make it happen and, yeah uh, I can do the easy. handoff and so like here here's everything right. <laughs> and I can do the you know do all the intros and things like that um but yeah uh, yeah we're so. only as
1: good as our our coordinators and volunteers if we don't have them in place and we don't have racing
0: yeah and I was thinking like even then um making into like a three-day stage race oh nice you know but not like super long distances like you could do a short course uh crit not a crit crit but like a road crit you know it's like a five kilometer loop so you don't have to shut down it's like a A circuit race yeah kind of like a circuit and then a prologue you know because we have a ski hill those are perfect that's what everybody does but up to the hill yeah um i've (laughs) done a number of those i'm like they're so brutal and do the time trial yeah. and um so you know but what i'm working on now is building that race and i want to make it into a woman's cycling festival so road nice. gravel and mountain
1: awesome. because
0: we have everything like literally right here and that's what everybody does um and that's so wonderful. yeah so it's kind of fun because i'm like i want to do something that's really can you know capture a lot of women give them something fun to do over the weekend mm-hmm. um it's a little getaway because you know we need to get away oh of <laughs> things like that but let's talk about so we finished up with with home stretch so if anybody's listening to this um and you find yourself in a situation where you are an athlete and you're needing to go to that next level and finding a good location to train throughout the winter. Oh, tell us a little bit about the, not the, we, you talked about the application, but how, what are the stretches where women come in? Is it like a fall winter and then they go into the season racing or how's it work? So
1: Good question. So we have, um, I'll talk about the structure, which is, and we've changed this model for the better. So, Mm -hmm. um, athletes can apply for a three-month residency or a six-month residency okay um the three-month residency is broken into winter and spring right so winter is december january february and spring Mm -hmm. is march april may and um we you know had um we had eight new athletes this year and uh between two and four alumni who would rotate in and out And alumni have a little bit of wiggle room if they've been here before and they know how it works. But for our um, initial first time residents, it is a three month block. And we cater first to the UCI Pro Continental athletes. So that's first, I mean, we used to focus on World Tour first, but now that World Tour have a salary, they they don't need Homestretch as much as the Pro Continental Mm -hmm. riders do. You were gonna say something.
0: Yeah. I was so, so I was just thinking of one, one of the girls, Emily, that I know that went there. And I don't think, I'm not sure she says she was there, but I don't think she had a contract. But she was looking, I know that she did a lot of applications to different pro teams, but she did spend some time mm-hmm. at your, at, um at home stretch. So, so was that, that before
1: you started?
0: I guess um... Um, it
1: depends. We've had a few Emilys, but I can, I okay, can. Okay, hold
0: on. I will. Find so, you
1: know, what, as you're looking for that, I can answer it in a in a kind of a yeah. blank term. Is that we have a three tier kind of level of the applications, right? So first, first dibs, so to speak, is mm-hmm. pro continental. So okay. you're already on the minor league equivalent of a professional team. Oh,
0: okay. And
1: okay. A little bit, but you're not. Getting a full salary or even mm-hmm. a full salary, but it's way too small, right? So mm-hmm. Pro Continental gets first dib. Um, second dib dibs um are for rising elites who are already on domestic elite teams, but they um, are breaking that gap up to maybe mid- that was it. Yeah. So we do um we do have some athletes there. And the third, the third category, um special circumstance situations and I love I love this example because it's happened twice for us um we have taken in two Olympic rowers who were transitioning oh. over to pro cycling right wow really that one Canadian Kaylee Filmer she was a bronze medalist in mm. um in the pair she was incredible and then she would gotten into cycling during the pandemic when she couldn't row with teammates in a boat right um and she was you know she had come in fifth at canadian nationals and just her first time really on the bike you know or her first, her first season. and she was very determined to go professional in the sport and she was racing on a domestic elite team uh the cyclery right oh yeah yeah right? yes yes so when she applied um the fact that okay she's got an olympic medal and she's coming mm-hmm. over to cycling and i knew immediately i'm like she's gonna get that pro contract and yeah um so we took her in and then next year sure enough she got her pro contract with uh team 2024 right
0: mm-hmm. so
1: that's and same exact thing happened with uh, another olympic rower kendall chase us um rower slash rider and ironically they were Kaylee and kendall were roommates in college or excuse me <laughs> boatmates in college they were both on the rowing team at berkeley together so
0: oh that's wild, hilarious <laughs> right
1: and um so i bet you they contacted examples, each other
0: hey what do you think about this we should like, right? split from rowing <laughs> like
1: if you're if you're already an olympic athlete yeah you know, an olympic medalist like um you know we might we might be able to get you in you know a little bit sooner yeah. um well we do um have ap- athletes apply who are, um, under 21. Um, they, we are a, we don't house minors, right. But right. in the U.S., our age range is 21 and up, but we will make exceptions for 20 year olds or even 19 year olds. If they're already signed to a pro continental team
0: and if okay. they're very mature, <laughs> you
1: know, yeah. it's kind
0: of
1: mm. a one, two punch. Um, but really it's 21 and up. So it's, uh, it's we're not catering to the juniors. Um, mm-hmm. It's a whole different, um, a whole different yeah. And they need their, their support as well, but it's just a little different. So um, <laughs> we also, you know, we've helped men in the past. Often they've been um, in conjunction with a woman who's already at, you know, the Pro Conti or World Tour level. Um, and they're also in cycling. We once helped a, an absolutely fabulous young man, Fareed Nori from Afghanistan, was building a mountain bike federation in his nation. This is oh, the Taliban came wow. and messed everything up, you know, in the past couple of years. But um, what he did to, you know, further his Olympic dream in mountain biking, but to create an, an entire federation in his, company, his country was outstanding. And he was just a, a super high quality human being, you know? So mm-hmm. now and then we will give men a residence here And if we take one, we usually have to take two so they can be roommates, but, uh, so there is there, there's wiggle room, you know, but Mm -hmm. the majority of our applicants are, um, um, you know, women on the pro-conti level.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. So back to anybody listening to this and you're looking for a place and you know where you are in the cycling structure and you're moving up talk, uh, reach out to Catherine on, she's on Twitter all the time. Um, wait, 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 don't
1: reach out to me on Twitter though. Okay, don't, <laughs> <no>. sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, Crash you that. can follow me on Twitter, but if you're serious about <laughs> applying to Homestretch, you
0: go to our go website. Go to the, the website, <laughs> right? Yeah, go to the website. And I'll that tell would you
1: this, be... nothing gets me more than like, you know, we're on Insta, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're I on know. social media channels. But when an athlete will message us, through Insta or Twitter or wherever and be like, how do I apply? And I'm like, oh, sister, you got to do some research. Like we have an actual website, you know, like you don't use social media to like, show me that you're doing some work here. You know, (laughs) don't, don't make me do the work. I'm not going to send you links. Like if we've had eighty-eight people through our program, Figure it out, you know, like, Yeah,
0: if you want it that bad, like seriously. Right.
1: <laughs> Be professional. Be okay, professional.
0: don't don't contact her through a social media. Go to the website, and that is homestretchfoundation.org. So let's talk just quickly, we got a couple more minutes, about okay. stand. So again, go back to episode eighty-one. We were talking all about it. And I had just at that point, I had just got her book and it's a big book. And it took me months to get through. but you know why it well it was big and I don't read very fast and I don't read very often but it was so detailed it was almost like reading and then going back and I'm like okay you know it was like the whole story which was amazing um of your career like getting into your racing and then the whole um lead up to the like your foundation and finding that and um a little bit of story about the divorce I'm very sorry about that um but let's talk about where you're taking the book now
1: yeah so the journey of stand is really about what happens when we stand on the front lines of change and that was the fight Mm -hmm. for women at the tour de France and all that detail comes into play because (laughs) Um, you know, we we thought it would be easy because everybody would be on board with yes, of course there should be a women's race in conjunction with the men's and the fact mm-hmm. that it you know took uh and the movie years to happen.
0: And your movie. Yeah, half <laughs> the, movie the road Half the road. Yep. Yeah. So that was uh there's a lot of like you were talking a lot about getting that done as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, from that interesting perspective of like how does this actually work when you want to do this stuff behind the scenes like what what do you go through to make that stuff mm-hmm. happen so yeah there's a lot of a uh, lot of twists and turns along the way so what's exciting was you know Stan came out in um, 2021 in your typical book format which is print and digital ebooks mm-hmm. hardcover paperback it's all out there google it it's there yeah go to amazon uh, yeah, different. it's on Amazon. It's also you can order it through your indie local bookseller too. We always love supporting okay. bookshops. Um, but uh, so what was interesting was that this year now we're coming on the two year anniversary of of Stand, and Spotify reached out, and they said we are of your journey. We think this is you know we think this book needs to be an ebook. Sorry, needs to be an audio book mm-hmm. and. Um, and we'd like to acquire it, which is a big deal. So basically the fact that women standing up and fighting for change is something that they wanted to acquire and make into an audiobook was huge. So I I, Spotify, you said Spotify. It'll be done on Spotify. They launched a book department to compete with Oh
0: yeah. Really? Yeah. I was just like, just a second, because I have audiobook and audiobook is is Amazon, right? Yes. Um, And Spotify is like, we're here too. So oh, <laughs> this is very interesting. I did not know that yep,
1: just happened this year. So it drops on July 4th. Spotify will release stand. And this past winter, um, they, they asked if I would read the book, but they said, first, you have to audition for it. Cause we have to figure out if like, if your voice is really <laughs> tolerable or horrible or whatever it might be. So I yeah, I have to read my own book.
0: That's good. I'm sorry. Yeah. but No, I think it's What I, I hope you auditioned well for your own book, but I've Thank listened you. to some books where I'm like, oh my God, like this is, I know this is a good book, but this voice is like killing me. Absolutely. Sorry.
1: No, you're asking <laughs> the same thing. I, I was fully on board with that. I'm like, absolutely, I want to audition. And
0: audiobooks, look at that. Everybody ready? go to yeah. Spotify. They've got
1: audiobooks. And ours, our link will be up there on July 4th, which is exciting. So, are they free? Uh, not a, ri- well, it depends if you, if you have a Spotify membership, okay. I don't know. I, I honestly, mm. I don't know. I think it depends on the level of your membership, but for everyone else, you just buy it, you know? Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's definitely it's fr- not free. You gotta, like, you have to buy most audiobooks, but yet I know people who like are on Audible Mm-hmm. And they already have a subscription at a certain yeah. level. And to them it's free, but they're really paying for it through that membership. So it depends, but it's not free. You got to pay for it. Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. All cool. right. Wow. That's worth looking at maybe getting back my Spotify account, like yeah. my membership. Cause I was there like, you, you know, it's just for, you know, listening. I'm like, okay, 10 bucks. It starts adding up when you're not like really, really using it a whole lot. Mm. Okay. Well, that is really interesting. So did you audit audition well for your own book? I did.
1: I <laughs> went into the studios and boy, that was a really interesting experience. Um two weeks of, you know, six to eight hours a day. <gasps> no reading. Yeah. God, it's hard. It's actually so much harder than you think. But like I know the story. <laughs> I know what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um yeah, it's to read and enunciate and not make any errors and then timing. And then if there are audible errors that you're not picking up on, but the sound people are, it's wild. So it took two weeks and it was about um, something like 30 hours of record time, but then it gets, um, it'll be probably half that. It'll probably be about 15 hours for the book itself.
0: Okay. Wow. Yeah. I can imagine. I do like, Listening to books that are recorded by the authors, yeah, that's, I think that's more like you know, it's it's cool listening to them like talk, like read their own books over somebody else,
1: especially nonfiction. You know, yeah, like a novel, you could go with anyone, you know, but
0: yeah,
1: an actual perspective and point of view with nonfiction or memoir, it does yeah. make sense.
0: Yeah. So I'm listening to Michelle Obama's uh audible biography. Yeah. Yeah. But so it's it's nice because you kind of like connecting with her and her voice. You know, though you've never really met her. Oh Um, yeah, I cry three times in mine. Do you? And they kept it.
1: They I said, Do you want me to reread that? And they're like, No, we would only ask you to reread it if it's um inaudible (laughs) or just like really garbled, but if it's just emotion. No, we we want you to leave it in. I was
0: like, Okay, I need a break. I need a break. I I need a break. (laughs) Oh wow, that's that's super exciting. Mm -hmm. So I am I'm excited about that. There's another book, you know, for those long rides. Yeah. Um, or even I I usually listen when on car rides, to be honest. Yep. Oh, for sure. Oh my we used to have uh, books on tape back in the day. (laughs) yes no yes cds CDs, yeah i used to go to the library and get a ton oh yeah and i just pop it in when i'm driving to the kids to whatever and coming home and then sometimes i'd be in such a good uh section that i do like an extra ride (laughs) around the block block. (laughs) i gotta see what's going on i can't stop right now i I will be so
1: honored (laughs) if i get you know an email or a post and someone tells me that they went around the block to finish the chapter (laughs) that my heart will explode into happy rainbows.
0: (laughs) Well, this has been amazing. I love the share for home stretch and what you're doing. Keep it up. There's so many women out there who are needing this, um, you know, and more women coming up the, the ranks, and uh, heading to the States, I'm gonna have to do something in Canada, maybe with the weather first. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But, um, and also with your book, congratulations Thank on that. I'm glad I caught that little, little uh, tweet you put out there. I'm like,
1: Thank oh, you. Yeah, there, is there super are some cool. things on Twitter. There is I know know. on Twitter. You just know. Have to figure out who to follow to just see the good stuff, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, I do follow a lot of cyclists, actually. Yep. And it's funny how there's more, I find, oh, maybe it's just the people that I follow, but more athletes like tweeting really, you know, quick tweets on Twitter over Instagram. But it's just like, oh, my God, you got to pick one platform. And I'm a big
1: fan of Twitter because I prefer words to to photos, you know, mm -hmm. Uh, and I like that in Twitter, you can drop a link to read something. Mm-hmm. Whereas it just gets more complicated with that on Insta. So it's just I, very
0: short, you know, it's yeah. just like enough to read. Yeah. All right. I am still cool. a
1: Twitter fan. And for everybody who's like, oh, social media, it's just, it's messy and angry and this and that. I'm like, no, actually you're in
0: control. Of- you're not following the right people. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of angry people out there. So you should not be following them.
1: Yeah. And if you follow me, I will make um, silly, terrible jokes, you know, and
0: uh, I love your um, hiking. My hiking and your riding. My riding. And, yeah. I am
1: like 99% happy, positive vibes on Twitter with the every now and then, um, you know, snarky <laughs> snarky something, but who wants to read like nasty. But that's
0: human. Stuff, right? Like exactly. the we're not always
1: happy. No, no. you got to be real. <laughs> gotta keep it real
0: yeah. all right well i thank you so much and for everybody's listening i hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did or i did and make sure to follow all of us on uh well catherine on twitter that's where she loves to hang mm-hmm. and um go to spotify and chat and when did you say it's dropping uh july 4th and I'm july on, 4th oh july what a 4th. perfect day
1: i'm on the twitter and the insta and the facebook but not the TikTok thing i'm, I'm done
0: <laughs> i know you can only pick so many so many but so july 4th great day to have your book drop on spotify but if you guys are on spotify just go check out the new tab it says audiobooks yeah go watch it Voodoo Voodoo and figure out how you can get yours so with that, and don't forget to follow the podcast on YouTube and on Instagram. So take care, everyone. Have an amazing day and don't forget to ride your bike. And we'll be uh talking to you later, Catherine. See you care. later. Bye Sylvie.
1: <laughs> Bye everyone. Bye. Bye.
0: all right everyone well wasn't that amazing to be talking with Catherine again after being on the podcast so long ago episode 81 i can't believe it go check it out she talks all about her book but it's really super exciting what she's doing so it's been seven years with um uh, home stretch foundation um as an athlete go check it out um and also check out her book stand It was some really good reference material of like her whole uh, launching into her activism to get the woman's uh, equality started. And how many, you know, like the ladies who are taking it on now, uh, like Marianne, uh, Miriam Clignes, who is actually in um, France and working there. Uh, Jill Jesko, who is doing, she's working on it as well with a film um there's so many women out there doing this but we just don't really hear about it a whole lot so i encourage you to go um go check her episode and then take this one on and you have yourselves amazing day i hope you enjoyed it all bye guys thank you so much for spending this time with me on the secrets from the saddle podcast